Hello, everyone. We are fortunate to have Dr. Barbara Caffrey with us for our OWA June podcast, where we're going to be discussing the transition back into practice and how things might change after the coronavirus pandemic. Welcome, Dr. Caffrey. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So many of our listeners know you and have had the opportunity to hear from you in the past. For those who might not have had the pleasure of learning more from you previously, can you share a little bit about your background and experiences so they get a chance to know a little bit more about you from from your vantage point? Of course. I think the word that comes to mind when I think about myself is clinician. I've been a clinician in September for 43 years. So I am used to heading to the office, seeing my patients every day. I do general care as well as specialized dry eye care. Along the way, I've been a clinical researcher. I did my PhD related to dry eye and autoimmune disease. And I also have worked, I guess, 15 years as the, on the board of the academy. I did previous work within the academy in various committees. And the board work is the culmination of all that work. And at the moment, I am the president of the academy, and I have enjoyed this period of time in my life very much. So you're currently the first Canadian woman to serve as as the president of the American Academy of Optometry. What has this leadership opportunity been like for you, given the recent pandemic and everything that we've been living through? Well, let's go back to pre-COVID first, because it's (laughs) such a pleasure to to remember those days, shall we say. So my goal when I became Academy President was to do a strategic plan. Uh, The Academy Board generally has groans and rolled eyes when it comes to strategic planning. We hadn't had great success before, but I was able to hire uh, two women to come and help us do a strategic plan plan that was grand in its scope and it was a pleasure to do I think almost everybody enjoyed it and we engaged at least a hundred people from the Academy to help us move that forward so those were my glory days shall we say and then there's COVID so one of the things I've learned is that life does not go along just on the up and up all the time And that leadership of many kinds is required when you're in a particular leadership role. And this kind of leadership in a pandemic is difficult. You hear it from politicians, you hear it from families, you hear it from almost everyone, business leaders, and certainly from healthcare providers. This is a very difficult time because we are the kinds of people that like to think we know what's happening tomorrow. We think we have control, we have big plans that are going to unfold. And when something like this hits, we all have to pause and recognize that life does not go that way all the time. And that it takes a certain form of allowing the unknown to be the known that makes leadership difficult. So my worry all the time is, am I doing enough? And I don't have an answer for that. I write a monthly editorial to try and express my understanding of what people are going through, particularly the fellows of the American Academy. But it's tough, especially when you have a meeting coming up in the fall that's supposed to have 8,000 people at it. And how are we going to sit together in a room and learn? Will it even happen? How can we make it a hybrid perhaps of online and not online? I don't know. 
but the academy is a fellowship and it's our love of each other and our sharing of knowledge and sharing of education that makes the academy what it is and how that happens without in-personness is a big question. So I'm working on it. I have no answers, but I'm working on it. I've, I've really enjoyed your messages. I mean, I thought that they were really great and heartfelt and, and really shared a lot from what you were going through as well. Because um, I think it's, it's definitely one of those unprecedented times. We don't necessarily plan for pandemics. I think it's probably no, safe. we don't. But I'm going to add one comment. I was listening to something as I was walking the other day, and they mentioned that the Blitz in London during World War II was 57 days and nights of bombing. I guess it was mostly night. But 57 nights of bombing, not knowing if your house is going to fall down around you and you'll be dead. And I thought, we're in, like, in my circumstance, I'm in about day 70 of having my practice closed. And so... You know, there are unprecedented and unprecedented, and we're in certainly unprecedented times. But at the moment, I think our job is to find our way through it with the new normal, whatever that looks like. And so, in addition to your role of serving as president, you practice in, in Toronto. Um, can you share a little bit about how your practice has been impacted and sort of what some of your plans are moving forward? Yes, well, the big thing is supplies, PPE, right? You need enough gloves, masks, what kind of masks, there's different rules for different structures. The biggest thing for us is that we've been closed for, as I mentioned, the 70 days. <clears throat> and that's a long time for, for me not to practice. I've never not practiced for that period of time. I kept trying to tell myself, this is the sabbatical I always wanted, but it's not the sabbatical I always wanted, I can assure you. And then the moving forward. So we've learned a lot. The first thing we learned was that talking to patients on the phone, simple act of how are you doing, what can I do to reassure you kind of conversation works very well. So I've learned the power of the relationship, the power of the voice of the optometrist. So that is what we are now going to have to separate from the gathering of data and the diagnosis and the manufacturing of the treatment plan. So how does one do that? And I've been thinking a lot about that. And this is what I think will happen. And we have to live it before we can be sure that's what it's going to be. But there will be a gathering of information before the patient arrives in the office, including screening, of course, for COVID. There will be information on updated, maybe medications they're taking, and certainly the chief complaint and what's bothering them. The exam will be done in almost silence. It's the talking and the proximity that are the biggest problem with spreading the disease. So the exam will be done with very little talking and as quickly as possible. Where possible, we will not be dilating because that prolongs the exam. It makes the patient have to wait out and come back in. And we want one patient, one room, finish, and away they go. So it is likely that everything will get done in as brief a time as possible, the observations, the recording, the gradings, the diagnosis. And then at the end of the day, I'm going to have to have the best way of contacting the patient so that I can actually take my mask off and talk to them, be it on the phone, be it on video, some form of telehealth, as we like to use the term now, that will be the new normal, I'm guessing, for at least a year. I don't think a vaccine will be around before then. And so 
that is the thing we have to realize. We're not just gatherers of information. Yes, diagnosis and treatment plans are important, but perhaps as important to the patient is that relationship where they feel assured that what they understand what's been done and that you have done a good job in summarizing their eye health. So have you, have you thought much about how you might maintain that relationship? Are you, are you sort of thinking that you'll see the patient and then talk to them after they've left the office? Yes, I think I'm going to be the silent seer of patients till let's say three o'clock and then the noisy caller of patients from three to five. That's my idea of how best to do it. Now, this is all before I've done it because we're not back at work yet. We're hoping next week, but we cannot be sure. So that is what I believe is going to have to happen because you cannot, some patients can't even understand you through a mask. I mean, they might have hearing problems or whatever. You cannot keep a relationship, as far as I can tell, without having a conversation where there's back and forth. Because I, I think, um, I'm assuming that, that your clinics are probably set up very similar to the, the US ones as well in terms of all the plexiglass and the cleanings in between. And, and you're absolutely correct. I mean, it changes the flow and timing of appointments. And, and I think that that personalized communication is going to be very key to really make them feel connected um, to you. I'm not sure if you've been doing much telehealth during this time at all or urgent so needs. We've done some, you know, and urgent care and all that kind of stuff. But we're now going to head into the flow of the normal clinic, what will be the new normal clinic. And that's what we're going to have to modify. I've been listening to hours and hours of Zoom calls and going in on continuing education and listening even to the ophthalmologists here in Toronto, a group that are very good and are doing sort of case studies and things. And to a person, they have said things like, you know, maybe some of those appointments weren't necessary that you used to do, especially the glaucoma people would say this. Maybe we can do it differently. Maybe we can find a way to find out who really does have to come in and who doesn't. Now, measuring eye pressure is a problem, but that's okay. We can think about that going through. So everybody is of the opinion that this is the moment when we can seize the reality of healthcare and change it because we have narrowed ourselves into tunnels here where we're doing these same things over and over and over again. Perhaps we have to open up and expand our horizons and do things in a different way that's better for the patient, safer for the patient, and that allows the connection between the doc and the patient to continue. One study that was presented was an ophthalmology study that asked patients what were, what were the major things about which office they went to, and they said two things time with the doctor to actually talk and understand, and make the ease of making an appointment. Those were the two major things. They didn't care about equipment. They didn't care about anything. That is what matters to them. And I, I can see why that's so important, especially because as we're setting up those safety protocols and how we best support them, they have a lot of the same fears that, that we do. Um, Indeed. And, and they also want to feel heard. As well. Feeling heard is so important these days, especially as we're all wearing masks. I mean, it's very interesting, isn't it? And I don't think you can communicate with only your eyes. I think, and even then, my eyes are going to have glasses and then um, goggles on top. So it's, and a plexiglass thing in front of that. So it's going to be hard to read anybody, including the patient. 
And so, especially when you're not letting them talk very much. And so we're going to have to find a way to keep that routine of talking going. And so you, you mentioned a, a couple of minutes ago that you've been out of work for around 70 days now and going back hopefully shortly. It sounds like you've done a lot with mind shift and sort of preparing yourself for what's to come and how to make yourself feel safe and, and make those plans and really trying to look at things from the patient's point of view. How do you think that other fellow doctors can sort of go through that same mind shift to prepare themselves for what's ahead? Well, I think the first thing to do is stop saying getting back to normal. There's no getting back to normal now. And we had our lovely normals for a long period of time. Yes, there were joyous things like getting new drugs to use and all these new diagnostics equipments and all that stuff. But the normal that we knew is simply not going to be there anymore. And I think you can get excited about that. I think you can start to realize that we, as a profession, can service many more people who are perhaps underprivileged, don't have access to the equipment, et cetera, et cetera. We can do a lot more with telehealth, and that is just a reality. It's just the way it's going to be. There's no reason for me to go to my GP and then go get blood work, and then go back to my GP to have her understand the blood work and talk to me about it. All I need is the blood work done and her to whatever way I prefer, email, phone call, video, whatever it is to talk to me. The same is going to apply across the board and we will soon learn what needs to be done in office and what doesn't. Which is going to be a, a, a process that will take some time. And I think yes. will probably be slightly different with every doctor based on what they need in their patients. Um, You've talked a lot about sort of your strategy potentially during the earlier part of the day, seeing patients in, a, in the afternoon, doing some of the follow-up. Um, do you have any other strategies in terms of maintaining those relationships, especially given all the PPE you're going to have on and maybe not being able to connect in the same way that you were accustomed to before? So I think hand motions are going to be really important, like a wave, you know, thumbs up. Things like that are really meaningful to people. And most of my patients still have enough vision to be able to interpret all of that. As a matter of fact, it's the hearing that I think is gonna be the biggest problem for my older age patients. But they can hear on the phone and they can hear in the telehealth. So I think there is something about eyes. Eyes tell us a lot about people. Uh, but the, the biggest thing is going to be the come into my room, you know, welcoming hands, come in, have a seat, um, waving. Those kinds of things will be very important as we go forward. And I think we'll learn as we go what matters. So throughout our, our conversation, we talked a little bit about your strategies and practice and, and leadership in, in the academy. Um, can you share how the Academy is working really to support the profession and membership and everything during the pandemic? Yes, certainly. I, I really think that we have done our very best to maintain the science of COVID-19. We have a COVID hub uh, link uh, on our website that posts every paper of science that relates to the eyes and COVID-19. So there's so much that is rumor. There is so much that is mystery out there. 
And I think that keeping the science in one place where you can go and actually find out what's been written, even though we know it's a moving target, and lots of papers are not even vetted appropriately now before they're published because they need to get out there, they need to understand, we need to understand uh, what the docs in China were doing, what the outcomes were of those patients and how certain procedures, the one I remember the most is one doc just got fed up and said, I'm gonna turn the patients around. Normally patients who can't breathe are on their back. He said, I'm putting them in prone position, face down, turned them down, and there was much more success in the outcomes of those patients. So these are things, we might call them clinical wisdom, we might call them desperation things because in some ways it's all we've got is to try something different. These are important things to share within the community as well as how healthcare providers get sick. That is a, that is a big thing, the donning and doffing of things. It has been, it's become a science now. You know, we wash our hands like surgeons now. And these are the kinds of shared information that healthcare providers needed to give each other because in many ways we have to assume that whoever we see has COVID-19. It could be asymptomatic, obviously. If they're very symptomatic, they're not going to be there probably. Or if they are, you're going to be in full, you know, hazmat suit, so to speak. Um, and we have to treat them with the respect that we're not going to give them the disease and that we're not going to allow ourselves to spread that disease around as well as we're not going to get that disease. So that's our, that's our job in the public health realm. And these are things that need sharing, and we've tried to do that at the Academy. So do you envision that the task force is going to continue to be sharing information as offices open up, the new normal happens, to really continue with the science-based background? And I'd like them to concentrate on what research we should be doing going forward. Should we be collecting contact lens cases or should we be um, sort of somehow recording what was missed in a three-month period or two-month period, depending on how long it was, to try and understand how to prioritize who does come into the office and when. These would be interesting factors to going forward to study. So in addition to the practicing side, um, what other things have you been doing in terms of supporting students um, during this time when they might not be able to go into clinics and, and get those clinical skills? Oh, this is one of my favorite stories. I'm so pleased to be talking about it. So this is how this story goes. Uh, I was talking to Jenny Quelt, who's a, a member of the board and the dean at Ketchum. Uh, and she said, oh, Barbara, she said, you know, the students, what are we gonna do? They're not gonna, clinics are closed. They're not gonna get their patient hours. What are we going to do? She said, I think the academy should do something. And I said, well, what are we supposed to do? She said, how about, clinical cases. And I said, I love that idea. I immediately called our CEO, Peter Scott, and said, Peter, can we do something like this? And he said, give me three days. And in three days, he had the system organized of how to do it. He put out a call to the fellows of the academy to say, do you want to do something? Johnson & Johnson and other companies said, we will fill hours for you if you want the science of this or the science of that. And as long as it wasn't commercial or stated, at least was stated as commercial, that was fine. And we just blossomed into this service for the students. And I had the pleasure of doing a couple of cases. And I'm a real down, you know, which is better, one and two clinicians. So they were really the ones that, this is real. This happened in my clinic. 
that I think are so important for students so that they understand that we all can make mistakes, that we all need to be disciplined in how we look at a patient, and that we all need to understand that there's more than the eyes to any individual patient that we're looking after. So that was a glorious success for the academy, for the students. We have had kudos from endless number of people because of it. And I think it, it's, it's really amazing um, coming from the educational background piece, how quickly all of these things came together. Um, especially when you think about classes really being transformed from face to face to doing things in a virtual world, let alone the clinic experience and how these things all came together and how schools were able to pull these experiences together. I mean, I don't think it's a substitute forever, but I think it's during this time to really help. I know talking with some of the students from, from my institution, they loved it, especially those who just recently graduated, because it provided a very different way for them to think about, to really process, and to learn so much more. Um, and so I just think it was just such a great, a great way to really support them, which again, can help them as they continue their journey and, and want to do more with the Academy. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. I, I really think going forward, this is something we can use over and over again. Um, case studies coming forward on Zoom, people having discussion groups around them. I mean, smaller groups even on Zoom. That will be a very important part of learning going forward. And I, I'm just, I cannot tell you how pleased I was about that. And the Academy staff deserve great kudos because they just took it on and did it. I think that's maybe one of the best things about this pandemic is that it really is having us sort of think about why we're doing the things that we're doing as opposed to just doing them the way, I mean, I think so much in the whole world is changing, not just practice, not just education, but it really gives us a chance to maybe reset and do some things better or think in alternatives we never thought of. Yes, there's a, an expression in um, meditation books that says something that stops your mind. And there's a moment in, with this COVID that absolutely stopped our minds because we couldn't just keep doing the routine things we'd always done. And those sometimes are terrible events that stop your mind, but no matter what the event, it allows you the space to look at things differently. And now we can look at things differently and go forward in a very positive way. So I do, I'm not a silver lining kind of girl, you know, but I can say that I have learned to look at things differently because of this pandemic. And I am prepared to do whatever it takes going forward to make sure that our profession adapts to what's necessary and takes on the very necessary part of looking after all citizens and doing it well. Well, I thank you so much for your leadership and your dedication to the profession. I mean, it's, it's been such a great time to talk with you and it's been very valuable. You've really shared tremendous insight for me as well as I'm sure those who are listening to us today. Is there anything else that you'd like to share before we wrap things up? I think I'd just like everybody to realize the importance of this moment, the importance of our role as part of the public health system, as well as the general health care system. We need to know the science of this disease. We need to share that information, including what is not known, and be a real frontline worker when it comes to getting back to practice and doing the things we do so well. Well, thank you so much. And we can't Thank wait you. to hear how opening up clinic goes for you. Thank you.